like to hear all of this story. And I would like to introduce to you Susan Yu from New York City. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Susan. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> and 2 o'clock is a hard time to uh, speak because when you're over 50, that is siesta nap time. <laughs> and I was, I was in the uh, second row over there uh, yesterday dozing off a little. I'm sorry, old timers. Forgive me. So I won't look at you if you're dozing off. I understand. It's so wonderful to be here and to be sober this beautiful, humid day in North Carolina. I'm just uh, grateful every day to wake up now uh, as I'm getting older and uh, uh, wake up and know that I'm still an alcoholic and uh, with all of you and you you offer me so much inspiration there were four or five we love you you'll be fine and that is the inspiration of AA that keeps me going every day I wake up um, this fellowship as our our um, former archivist from the office uh, who was Bill W.'s secretary said, this is the greatest social movement of the 20th century, and I believe that it is. Um, it, it, it is just, uh, we, are, we are normally men and women who do not mix, and here we are. And the current archivist always says, well, you're a great-looking bunch of people. I would love to have had a drink with each one of you. And I think, think, well, I don't know, because I didn't want to share my bottle with anybody. So, um, And I thank the committee so much for uh, including me this weekend uh, in North Carolina. It's, it's like a sec coming home again. Uh, I've been here before to some of your assemblies, and uh, my son went to uh, college down here for a few years. I've spent time with uh, the former manager of our office, John and Mary, up in uh, Asheville, and with Betty, who used to work with us at the office, and, um, and um, our cat, Lucky Trooper, was uh, born here in North Carolina. And uh, she was brought home by my son, and, and uh, she lives in New York now. Um, the, uh, the committee uh, has been so loving and, and generous. Um, I, I started my trip out on Thursday uh, on, on U.S. air, um, and uh, the plane was canceled. And um, I called Jim, uh, the chair chair of the weekend, and and told him that. And I was told that I'd get on the at the five o'clock plane. But it's because of my 
wonderful uh, hostess, Marie, who picked me up, that uh, she found out that, that, that I wasn't on that plane. And um, if she hadn't called New York, uh, I would probably... I'm, I'm kind of casual and, and did not look into it and was just going to go to the airport. And uh, so it's a good thing she called. I thank her. And uh, that's why I missed the speaker on, on Thursday night because the plane didn't come in till 8. But uh, once you get here, you know, there's so much love here in North Carolina. I don't know. Um, how can anybody be but grateful to be sober here today and um, be part of this worldwide movement. Um, and I've enjoyed the speakers. I've identified with with the ones I've heard and, and look forward to the rest of the weekend. Uh, I, I hear so much of my story in each speaker uh, and have lots of uh, pearls of wisdom to take home. I used to go to these conventions and would hear an Al-Anon speaker and uh, an AA speaker and, and would be so inspired if your spouse isn't with you or your family, and I'd bring all these pearls of wisdom home. Like I remember I heard one Al-Anon speaker who said that uh, they... Um, they, they prayed together as a family, and I, I took that home. Let's have some serenity prayer at, uh, together. And I remember both my husband and son looked at me like I had almost flipped out or something. Um, but, I mean, I can see that you can't just come to these weekends and be so inspired and then go home and think that you can start something new. Um, you know, so I uh, realize also that the inspiration of the speakers and, and the whole convention atmosphere is um, something that is very hard to explain to others. It's in your heart and your soul, and it's the inspiration that we need to continue to carry the AA message. Uh, how many people are here at their first convention? Uh, that's terrific. My first convention was in 1973 uh, at an Ikipa. So, um, and it, uh, my uh, my life began in in 1938. I was born um, in New York City, uh, a middle child. <clears throat> Apparently, my great great grandfather was in business with John D. Rockefeller. Uh, in the grain business in Cleveland. And little did I know that John D. Rockefeller would have such an effect on Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I know that my great-grandfather was a big sailor, and um, he did not want to stay in this business because John D. Rockefeller uh, was very interested in making a lot of money and worked all the time, whereas my great-grandfather enjoyed sailing and drinking, and um, so he, he got out of the business. And, you know, I, I kind of enjoy hearing these things because um, I end up working in a building in New York that was built by John D. Rockefeller, 
and of course he is very famous in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, where he said that money would spoil us, this thing. And uh, now he built a building in New York where where I work now, and um, I, I don't know. I feel very kind of attached that I'm be- uh, that I belong in this neighborhood. Um, so uh, I came along uh, as a middle child. There are three of us in the family. My mother and father are um, were were wonderful parents who drank an awful lot, um, but neither one ever said that they were alcoholic. Um, and so I tried not to diagnose them. Uh, and uh, my sister is older. She's, as I call her, the white sheep of the family. She would die if she ever heard one of my tapes. She'd be insulted, but um, she is perfect. And she drinks a sip and puts it down for about an hour. And, um, you know, she just did all the right things. Um, and uh, then in regard to meeting the right man and being married to the same person all these years and um, having three wonderful children, as a matter of fact, I'm meeting one of her, one of her daughters tomorrow in Durham, my youngest niece, and uh, for a little visit. And um, I was with my sister last week. And I really love her. We have a great relationship. I accept her as she is. And we were at another birthday party. Um, she proceeded to talk about flowers for two hours, you know, to remind me about how much she knows about this. Um, and she is a um, she's a very dedicated family member. You know, she's. She's concerned about everybody else's problems. Um, And I, you know, I've made my amends to her over the years uh, by, there were many times in my drinking that I never showed up to babysit for her kids. And now I am in close touch with all of them. Um, And she lives nearby. She lives uh, up in Connecticut. And then we, then I have my brother who is living on a boat in Honolulu Harbor, and he's an alcoholic too. And we're exactly alike. We are compulsive, die-in-the-wool alcoholics, and drank the same way, and um, it took a little while to get sober. Um, my parents were. Uh, were brains and they went to Ivy League colleges and um, you know I always felt that I was a middle child and that I that I could never uh, I could never be as smart as they are or anything else and little by little uh, my brother reminds me you know people talk about their first drink I that we were drinking all along when we were out fishing with my father. <laughs> Because he never brought sodas for us. <laughs> he, he just had beer. And so, I mean, apparently when we were out fishing uh, uh, growing up, that uh, we had sips of beer when we were young. 
And um, I just know that I liked alcohol and that I was a very, uh, I was a person who blushed a lot and was very shy and ill at ease with people, as you hear over and over again, and that when I started to drink, that that really filled up this, this hole I had of of not being as uptight or nervous and, and that um, I could be a little looser <laughs> and and um, a little maybe um, to the point of standing up on the bar, Cozy Cole's bar, and jitterbugging. Yeah. But I was good and drunk when I did things like that. Um, we, uh, I went to a college and, and um, right away, you know, started to hang out with a drinking crowd. And I think that was what the 50s was all about. I mean, your parents drank and, and uh, I was hanging out in these hard drinking schools um, and, um, you know, it just became a way of life. I know that I abused the, the drinking privileges immediately in college to the point of being on social and academic probation my first month there. And um, so um, by the time I, I graduated uh, from college, um, I uh, was beginning to drink around the clock. And, uh, you know, I my... Um, my fiance at that time was a, a, a Dartmouth a graduate, and uh, we used to do things like ingest oranges with vodka. And you wake up in the morning from a fraternity party, and you drink right away. And I always remember my first husband, uh, Dennis. He said, the first time I met your father, it was at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, hello, Dennis, have a beer. So, I mean, it was a, a whole way of life that everybody was drinking. And um, the thing was, though, I, I noticed, I observed that my drinking was 10 beers to, let's say, my sister's one. And um, that I, I drank too much. Um, I went to, uh, I got a teaching job um, in 1960 uh, right out of school and um, got married. And uh, my husband said to me, uh, we're not going to drink during the week. We need to save money for law school. Now, nobody had ever told me I, co I couldn't drink. And um, so my, my, my logic was, well, I'll just drink behind your back. So... Um, I started to become a, a, a sneaky drinker, and, um, you know, I began to water his, the bottles uh, that we had in the apartment, and I began to go to the liquor store every day and always thinking tomorrow I'll stop this, but I never stopped till I got here. Um, my husband... Um, uh, well, I felt that I deserved a drink because I'm supporting him through law school. Um, and pretty soon when, when, when he, um, he came home, uh, he either came home to somebody who was passed out. Uh, I drank until I passed out. Uh, and, uh, or had disappeared. I would get in my car and, 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 and disappear. And, um, 
or who had uh, burned the dinner or eaten the whole dinner, trying to get rid of the vodka taste, you know. I just would keep eating it, saying, well, maybe it won't smell as much. Or, um, but, and this was not very pleasant. And I heard this from Nell this morning, living with an alcoholic is no day at the beach. And um, I, I, I heard the other side of it, and I can say that that um, that that um, it, anybody who who does stick with the alcoholic, um, yes, um, you deserve red ribbons and um, um, blue ribbons. Um, so um, I kept uh, I began to lie and and um, I began to steal money sometimes from my father when we went to visit him uh, so I could get pints because we didn't have much money and um, do things that I, I, I could never do today. I just did these things to get liquor. And um, eventually my husband, I called him and my parents the CIA, you know, they, because they were always talking behind my back about my behavior. An alcoholic either, uh, you know, it's a depressant, this alcohol. And whenever I got drunk, I, I uh, can see that um, then I didn't want to live. And I was going to drive my car off the Tappan Zee Bridge or something like that. But every time I was sober... Um, that, that feeling was not there. And um, so they sent me to a psychiatrist, and uh, this psychiatrist told me the usual that they tell women, uh, well, if you're living in the town where you teach and you're a woman in this society, an educator, uh, you need to cut down on your drinking. So here's some Librium to help you. And... I remember just being kind of like a double zombie then because um, I'd be walking around with Librium and uh, a pint. And um, so eventually uh, he he suggested that I, I go to AA. So um, I, I, made a tw I made a phone call out of desperation one time uh, when my husband had taken all my money and... Um, I had called the liquor store and told them to deliver a pint to my parents' milk box or something, you know, in the old-fashioned milk box outside the door. The pint came, but um, my husband could never figure out, you know, uh, in half an hour I could go from being sober to being drunk. But that's because you drink fast when you drink behind people. And... Um, I um, <clears throat> called I called AA, and uh, two women came to 12-step uh, me. And this is what the theme is this weekend, carrying the message. Two women carried the message to me. I was 24 years old, and um, uh, we were dog-sitting for my parents in, in their house. And um, they came to the door, and they told me their stories. I said, well, I'm too young to be an alcoholic. And I remember Virginia said to me, well, you're not too young to have a problem with alcohol. And um, the other woman happened to be one of my high school friend's mother. 
So, I mean, I, it was just so shameful for me to, to have made this call. And so um, they told me to go to an AA meeting. And uh, a few days later, I went to an AA meeting in uh, the town in Riverdale, which is on the border of the Bronx, where uh, my husband and I lived. And it was, a, it was in a church with about, well, there were a lot of people there who looked about 75 years old to me. And um, I, uh, I saw the steps on the wall and the traditions, and I saw a lot of words, God, who had abandoned me or I didn't use anymore. And... Um, And I remember this old-timer said to me, well, Susan, you can stop now. And I said, John, he was 75, John, when I'm your age, I'll come to AA. And out the door I went, and uh, within a week I was in my first detox. And um, it was in this detox that I I met the big book. Uh, Not this little guy, but um, um, I read the big book. And um, every word in there was for me, but I could not stop drinking. The thing I loved the most was very hard to stop. And all I did was keep coming back. Um, The next six years, I lived the progression of alcoholism. And so, therefore, you know, I am very, very much in love with newcomers who try so hard or who have to come back or who are not able. I mean, I I admit it every day, uh, the first step. I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable. However, it was very hard for this alcoholic to make a decision to either go to the liquor store or go to AA. Every day, those were tormented decisions because if you go to the liquor store, you get this ease that goes down you for a few minutes, and then your problems come right back. Um, by the end of my drinking, uh, I was um, um, I was in terrible shape. Um, my teaching job was. I was called in about my absences. My husband and I had separated because I had a blackout and ordered him to leave. I mean, he interfered with my drinking. When I came to, he told me the next morning what I had said, and it wasn't very good. Um, I didn't remember it. And this man, you know, uh, we we, we were very much in love when we got married, but drinking... um, uh, spoiled that whole relationship and he had bleeding ulcers uh, when he moved out and um, um, <clears throat> and I was thrilled because I could drink now uh, the, the way I and, and of course um, it, it was all over you know AA once you come to AA if you don't get it, it gets you, and it certainly spoils your drinking. And, um, you know, you find that there are people here that you want what they have, and you just keep coming. Um, my, my, the year before, 
<clears throat> I um, got sober. I um, I was uh, put away in a mental hospital by my parents because I, I guess I overdosed on some pills uh, and while drunk, and they put me in a psychiatric hospital where we had I was administered uh, shock treatment. And you know that that is a very medieval way to treat an alcoholic. But um, believe me, uh, I think they knew that I they didn't know what else to do. So when I came to it was I had completely forgotten about what happened. You know, the year before, and um, uh, I guess I resigned from my teaching job after seven years of well, uh, how many? I guess it was after seven years of teaching and um, went into this, this hospital. And in this hospital, um, my, my medical insurance ran out after six months, so they sent me to a, a state hospital. And it was at this hospital that I, I came thinking, you know, how did I get here? A nice, <laughs> a nice girl from Bronxville in Westchester and uh, with wonderful parents and um, here I am in a in a locked ward of a state hospital and you know <clears throat> the attitude of most alcoholics are why fight it join it and naturally I met the sickest guy in that hospital and the two of us snuck pints you know and drank when we got little uh, walks outside and um, <clears throat> that that was the way I was at that time, and I didn't want anyone to come see me. And my mother, who went to college up in Vassar, had to come up there to visit me in the same town where um, where I was um, in Poughkeepsie, and um, it was horrible. Um, and then at the end of my stay, they, they my parents said, "Well, we'll take you in." I was 28 years old, and I was just thinking it's kind of painful because my son now is 22, and I've been thinking about how we could get him out of the house, you know. Um, and the um, it, it's because I was thinking, look at me in my 20s. I was a real, you know, up. I mean, a screw, a kind of a, an, an active alcoholic. And um, so... I, I came home uh, to my parents' house and um, with a lot of hostility. I mean, there's one thing worse. There's a drinking alcoholic and then there's a resentful one who doesn't like anything. You know, you, you know you've lived with them or you have children like that and um, who just gritting this hanging on to life. And... Um, so I saved my money and six months later moved into New York and um, I started going out with a guy who was a civilian. And um, by then I was divorced, had gone to Juarez to get this divorce and uh, drank a little tequila on top of Anabuse. You know, it's amazing I'm standing up here, guys, with all the abuses and um, so um after uh after I got into New York City I started going out with a guy who was this, this civilian and and we went skiing a lot in the mountains and he um knew I had a drinking problem and I started 
returning to AA. And um, he, you know, if you're young and you're in a crowd and they pass around the marijuana and they pass around, they share the beer and you're in a skiing society, it's very hard for anyone to say no. It was hard for me, no matter how much trouble I just shared with you. And eventually I took a puff of the marijuana and drank some hard cider. And the compulsion that they talk about of alcohol gets set off. And I had been out of the hospital about a year. And um, within a week, I was drunk again. And I remember that last drunk I went on because... I couldn't go skiing. I was sick. I didn't know how to take care of myself when you when you have a fever without having whiskey. And um, he went skiing without me. And so I was alone in my apartment in New York. And it's so easy to buy a bottle of whiskey to help you along. And when I got that bottle of whiskey, I knew it was over. I um, called. This friend of mine, this was January 27th, 1969, I called this friend of mine and she uh, came and 12-stepped me. And she um, was a member of the Trafalgar Group in New York. And she came with a, a man and they sat there while I shipped through my last drunk. And um, on January 28th, 1969, shaking, um, I, I went to the Murray Hill group of AA. I said I drank. And um, um, I spent the whole evening in the girls' room with the dry heaves and the shakes. And the next day I saw a doctor and he helped me with anti-convulsive pills. And my father came into town. Of course, my father always had the reddest face. I always thought of Manhattan because he was always had a few drinks, but um, he said, pack your bags, you're going away. And I said, I can't, Dad, I'm doing it the, the AA way. And um, that was my day of surrender. And I surrendered to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was the greatest day of my life because I began a new life. Um, I do anything that you you said to, to do to um, not drink. And every alcoholic in this room and all the rooms around the world has to come to that point to become sick and tired of being sick. Some people, it's their first meeting, they are sick and tired of being sick. And other people have to uh, live the progression and um, there are other people that just never get it. And I'm so lucky that I got it. <clears throat> I got um, into this group, the Trafalgar Group, um, in 1969, and it was a great group. I think I got my sobriety in the kitchen, making coffee, before the meeting, after the meeting. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, I had no concentration. I, I mean, if you asked me to read a book, I could only read a paragraph. I couldn't sit still in meetings. I had to get up at least ten times to get coffee and um, 
my uh, attention span was 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 uh, was very very um, <clears throat> limited. I had a teaching job in Manhattan in a private school, and um, I remember the first year in AA, uh, some of the teachers said to me, um, uh, where do you go? I mean, I always say I'm meeting so-and-so or I'm going up here, and where do you go? I said, oh, I just meet a lot of people through other people, and I maintain my anonymity there. Um, this school was a wonderful school that I um, worked in for uh, five more years, and um, it was the perfect place. Eventually, I was able to tell the director when we were in a car together, some literature, AA literature, fell out of my car and I um, out of the glove compartment. At least it, it wasn't a pint anymore. And... Um, I was able to tell her that I was in AA, and I remember inviting her to an open meeting, and she came with me, and I had to tell my story like today. I left out the shock treatments and the, um, and she said to me, oh, Susan, you never could have been that bad. And, um, you know, it's all, and I always remember I would invite my mother and father to some of my anniversaries and and the open meetings and they would come and um my mother would say those stories are just so terrible susan they're just um because i remember once she told one of her friends in aa she said you know susan thinks i'm an alcoholic and um she said um because i drink alone and uh, i tell susan that I mean, I have nobody else to drink with. Her father is dead. So, I mean, I drink by myself. And so when she, I mean, but she thought that was, you know, amusing to uh, realize that, uh, and of course, this other woman who was an AA men member said to my mother, oh, gee, you're not an alcoholic. So I let that go. And um, it was very important for me when I came in to say, I have the illness, I accept it and it's my illness, and to not diagnose my parents. I began to hear a lot of, of meetings that I went to where people would diagnose their parents, but I, I can't. Um, my sobriety was um, wonderful from the beginning because I've always loved AA. Um, my first sponsor, I did the steps, the first five steps with, um, she, she got drunk. And so um, I, I got another sponsor immediately, and uh, I have the, she's been my sponsor ever since, uh, all these 28 years. And I've really been blessed because um, uh, she's been through all my... Uh, experiences and um, I've been through hers and and there's something wonderful about that continuity and the woman who carried the message to me Virginia is is my other uh, sponsor and these two women have have been um, such an instrumental influence in my life I mean I've shared everything with them and I continue to call them with questions um, 
generally my sponsor Adrian will say, turn it over. <laughs> and um, third step, third step. And um, this is, uh, you know, she has many, many sponsees, and, and I think that I must have inherited the same type of behavior that she has because I've inherited. I mean, I, I sponsor a lot of women, and I'm very lucky uh, to be so involved um, with women in, in the uh, program of recovery that works. Um, my first sponsee was uh, Kathy, and she um, asked, me, asked me when I was sober eight months to be her sponsor, and it was just like, you know, you were asking, this was the most wonderful thing that had come to me. I mean, nobody had asked me anything. I was just, uh, you know, a person, what are we going to do with her type of person. And all of a sudden, someone says, would you be my sponsor? That, that, that was like um, a, gift, a gift from God. And she and I were going to the uh, intergroup dinner together again this year. Um, how will be there? Um, what about AA? You know, um, I don't think that I, uh, in the beginning I went every day and it was so hard for me since I was an apartment drinker and never a bar drinker uh, that I had on weekends in New York City, I had to um, go three or four times on a Saturday and sometimes midnight meetings. I was really kind of nervous to be uh, on my own. Um, because of my drinking pattern. And um, eventually, I could stay home one night, maybe Wednesday, and wash my hair and do my nails or something. Um, but uh, most of the time, I was in AA meetings, and I've never uh, not enjoyed an AA meeting. Uh, the Trafalgar group I joined uh, had a step meeting, and I can still name all the people that were in that room including John was there, including about 28 years ago. Um, and it was a wonderful step meeting. And most of the people that are in that room, that were in that room, are sober today or gone to the big meeting in the sky. So, um, you know, I, I mean, that's an incredible thing, but most of these people are sober in, from that step meeting. And it was a wonderful meeting uh, and a great group. And uh, they got me busy right away. So I, uh, I was the co-secretary and then um, did things for the group. Uh, after a couple of years, I moved to California. And um, I remember my sponsor saying to me, well, you can always come back. And that was a good thing for me because I moved and I had to take myself with me. And, um, you know, that's quite an awakening um, to go to a new place and have to get active in AA in another place. And I did that. And I joined the Team 20 group in uh, California. And that's when I went to my first Ikipa convention. I was 32 years old. And it was so terrific to be in a room with people my age and younger who um, were having fun, staying sober. 
and I was just absolutely overwhelmed. I was absolutely um, in awe also that um, they told me I, if, if thought that I could ask somebody to dance, that it was an equal society. I never knew that, but um, so I did. I started to learn that I could um, talk to men again and dance sober. And um, um, little by little, I began to make some very good male friends in AA, and everything was going wonderful uh, until I had a relationship with the gang I hung out with. And then you know that um, that uh, sometimes... Uh, problems begin then when you're into a relationship. So um, I, when I was out in California, I lived with a trombone player, and um, he was much older than I was, and, and eventually after two years, I, I left the relationship and came back to New York, which my sponsor said was okay, and uh, got my old teaching job back, and um, uh, when I was sober five years, uh, the man who wrote Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers um, uh, told me to go to the general service office and uh, fill out an application. So um, I did that, um, and he I was offered a job uh, at the office. Um, I remember talking to my sponsor about this, saying, what will it be like working for AA around, you know, for a job? I love my AA life. I, I, I don't want it to be spoiled. And um, I teach children. I don't know what it will be like working with adults. Well, let me tell you, I, you know, we're all children at times, so recovering together. So it wasn't so bad. But my first year at the office, I was going to quit five or six times. I mean, it just didn't seem to me. Uh, I had a lot of uh, tears and adjustment because, you know, um, the group conscience in your home group is one thing. But then when you get into a group conscience of the staff at the office, as well as delegates to the conference, as well as trustees, and... Um, Sometimes they they would sit around and discuss young people, for instance, and I thought, well, how do they know they're all seventy years old and and um, but things like that, I could then begin to see the only way AA can improve is a lot of talk and workshops and committee meetings and the group conscience decision. If you're an impatient person, it's probably not a good idea to serve on one of those types of committees that requires a group conscience. Maybe you're better at being the treasurer or the coffee maker or the prison work. Or, um, but, I mean, if, if you're in a committee that requires a group conscience, you might be in the committee for hours coming up with a group conscience. And I think because I'm always in awe that it does come out the way God intended it to be, um, that I believe in this group conscience and that there are no bosses in AA and that there are um, groups around the world guided by 12 steps and 12 traditions and that nothing is going to change, not one word of 
the steps or traditions without all the groups participating and voting on that. And I trust that. I trust that AA is just fine. And uh, so am I. Um, when I was, um, after working at the office uh, for a while, I, 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 I got married again to an AA member. And um, we had a 10-year relationship. And um, this man was, um, he was a, a very um, well-spoken Irish Irishman. And my name went from, my maiden name was Schwaterman, then I went to Coyle, and then I went to Daly. And um, so um, I'm the only one at the office who's changed my name three times, but I'm still the same Susan, I promise you. Um, and um, <clears throat> we went, um, we got married, and we had um, with with the with my husband Don, we had um, I had stepchildren to deal with, and um, le- having to learn how to cook for large families and mother-in-laws and um, all sorts of things. And, you know, I solved these problems in my home group, the Trafalgar group. I talked about it, and I did everything I could to um, solve my problems. Uh, We were very blessed, as Nell talked about today, um, uh, and Cleve. We were blessed with a a little girl when I was 38 years old, um, um, and um, we had a terrible, tragic um, happening with our daughter, and uh, she died at two years old. And it was uh, uh, it was like it was an AA. Um, it was a very upsetting time. Dave uh, remembers, and um, um, I know that, um, that that was one of my black periods. But I I could not um, the thing that kept me together was this great love that I feel in the room today, this great love by saying, we're here for you. And I remember the Al-Anons and Lois Wilson and all these people uh, encouraged me. And um, um, so I got better. And um, believe it or not, within a few weeks, I had a new sponsee and she required a great deal of attention. And these things are absolute blessings for people who need to be busy. Um, And um, this woman is still sober. I had dinner with her the other night. And um, I look back and I think that um, I, uh, I celebrate my daughter's life. I don't grieve it. Um, And um, you know, ten years ago, I couldn't stand up here and talk that way without getting extremely. Um, but I know that um, it talks about in this book that there are new experiences for every alcoholic to um, to um, experience if you don't close off yourself from other people. And this experience has helped a lot of people because I remember receiving a letter. This talks about carrying the AA message. The theme this weekend 
I re remember receiving a letter from a woman in New Zealand who uh, heard about my loss, and she had lost her son. And we wrote back and forth, and um, we met at the International Convention, and um, we've been friends ever since. Um, so I, you just don't really know if, if you keep everything in, you know, your experience is yours, and, and um, it, it, the whole thing is that we get through this together without drinking. And you have always been there for me. That's why I never gave up. And our, our marriage was very um, hard after that, so we separated. And, um, and after we separated, I got involved with this project of adopting a child, which you've heard this weekend from, from, um, from our speakers. Uh, so um, I, I, I uh, did something very racy, and, um, <clears throat> but it was really quite a challenge. I think if I thought it through, um, I probably would the way some people, if you think things through um, sometimes, but if it feels like it's God's will, do it. And, you know, when you're younger, things, I mean, taking risks are very, very, very interesting. If it feels like the next right thing that the book talks about. So I um, adopted this little boy, Paz, and he came to the country from El Salvador, and that was in 1984. And it was exactly at the same time that he came here, that um, he was eight years old. And um, it was exactly at the same time that, that he came that I uh, coordinated the World Service Meeting of AA in New York. And um, I met my, um, the love of my life, Eric, from Norway. <laughs> and... Um, it was really such a such a wonderful um, chance for me to um, really get back into a busy life again with my 20 sponsees coordinating the World Service meeting of AA, a new child at home, and um, a beginning of a love affair with a Norwegian. So. Um, we, um, we, we communicated back and forth. He was representing Norway, and, and we corresponded by tape, and he sent me tapes on As Bill Sees It. He would read it out loud, and then he would give me his interpretation, and then I would pick something, and I'd send it to him by tape. And to me, I mean, whenever I got one of those tapes, I was just like, I'd run up into my bedroom and play it. And he had such a deep, sexy voice, you know. And my son was always saying to me, you know, when are you going to come out of the room and get dinner, you know. But um, Eric was really, <laughs> it, was, it was a great blessing for me to uh, meet Eric. Um, he, uh, he had a great sense of humor and... Um, you know, as they say, I mean, sometimes um, there were many days that um, the only thing that I think we agreed on was the preamble of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, we did agree that that worked. And um, uh, he would, 
we had to, he, he asked me to marry him, and I didn't know whether I should leave GSO, and I didn't know if he wanted to come to, to uh, the United States. So we were back and forth, and we went to a convention together, and um, he came here, and I went over there with our son, and um, we just uh, finally decided to get married in New York, and uh, he came to this country in 1987, um, and uh, we had, um, I would go to these weekends, like I remember coming to the North Carolina Assembly, and of course, Eric and Paz would um, take care of the home, <laughs> and I would call up, and I would say, um, how are things at home? And he would say, well, it's very peaceful here since you've gone. Um, so, <laughs> and I could more or less see um, that um, they could do what they wanted. They could have pizza and put their feet up on the table and all the things. And it was a wonderful um, time we had together. Um, our son grew up and... Um, we had some. We had a lot of trouble in in the different places that he went to school, private schools, and that was another thing. Eric and I could never agree on the education, and um, of our son because he came from a country where education is free, and um, so uh, eventually um, he got out of high school and he came here to North Carolina and went to college here for two years. And now he has dropped out of school and he's going, uh, he's a flight attendant, uh, with an airline. So when we were coming over here on Thursday, um, we shared a cab together. I went to one airport and he went to the other airport and, um, got on a plane to go to Israel. And he's a terrific flight attendant, and um, I, I'm very proud of him. <laughs> so um, uh, we we uh, had a lot of differences, my husband and me, but we had a great deal of love for each other. And we spent every summer in Norway, and um, where he could be with his family, and. Uh, um, we went to meetings in Norway and, and meetings in New York. Eric only went to one meeting a week because he got sober um, on one meeting a week. And I went to four or five meetings a week, and um, that's because that's how I got sober. And I would say to him, you know, you need to go to some more meetings with me, or let's go. And he would say to me, one meeting a week is enough. You go to all those meetings all the time, and I really don't see much improvement. So I think that... And I, after a while, you know, we would sit down and say, we need to use the third step together, and um, we need to let go of each other and accept each other as we are. Of course, that is always the situation in relationships about acceptance of your partner. And I have a great deal of respect and love for Eric. He was an extremely spiritual man. And we started to go to church together. And um, my husband went to work for for a church in New York. And um, he, he uh, once he went to work for that church, that was where my AA group 
met. He was managing the building, so I had to leave the Trafalgar group after 17 years and join another group because there was kind of a conflict of interest. Um, and I joined a group near the apartment and um, the 79th Street Workshop. And I've been a member of that group for the last nine years. <clears throat> I still go to the Trafalgar group on Tuesday night, um, but since I'm on the church board now, um, I feel it's still a conflict of interest. I am active in church now as a uh, session member. And, you know, these things I've never uh, asked for, they've just come to me. Um, I, uh, you ask, people ask about how can you can have AA all the time, and that is true. It's important to have a balance. And I love the theater. I love movies. I love this church uh, work and um, practicing a spiritual life, and I um, also love doing things with other AA people and um, meeting my sponsees. Um, my husband, Eric, was diagnosed with cancer three years ago, and um, we, we divided our time between Norway and New York. And um, he, he was very courageous in his fight for... Uh, um, and um, I... Uh, I'm just really very glad that we had this time together. Um, that was 10 years. And so my husband died um, around the time of the general service conference in April. And um, I remember how wonderful the delegates were to me uh, in the beginning of the week. And um, again, how inspired I was that I could only be very sad because um, of losing my best friend and um, my partner. So um, when we had, I had to uh, go over to Norway and take care of some of his affairs and um, the AA people there have always been extended their AA hand to me, and last month I was over there in May at their 50th anniversary, um, which was in um, Beta Stolen, Norway, and uh, there were 500 people there celebrating 50 years of sobriety. Um, I was representing uh, the GSO office and. Um, um, they, they asked me to uh, just say a few words from AA in the United States and Canada, which I did, and it was translated. And it was such a, uh, such a privilege to be there. Um, I know, of course, so many of them. And I was with this old, old um, very old man, uh, Oscar Olson, who is the doctor of AA, or doctor non-AA, in Norway, and he sent so many drunks to AA in Norway, and there he was, 88 years old, telling the AA story and the history, and it's right here this weekend in your brochure about George and AA getting started in Norway, and George 
uh, a Norwegian, went over there and started the first AA group. And then here I am this weekend, 50 years in North Carolina, and I feel, you know, that there's just so much attachment of being 50 years in Norway and then 50 years this weekend. Um, And then... Um, the woman who trained me at GSO, she just celebrated 50 years of sobriety, Anne M. And um, I had dinner with her a few weeks ago. And I was thinking, you know, if I don't drink and I don't die, I may have 50 years myself. So one never knows. I, these are not my goals. My goals are to walk humbly and usefully under God's grace. And to remember that the next opportunity that comes is going to, I will keep my mind open and my heart open. My uh, son thinks that I need to have a new boyfriend because I'm picking on him. And I said to her, so, you know, this last weekend I bought this book, How Stella Got Her Groove Back or something like that. I left it on the airplane, so... I have to buy it again, but I'm wondering if it's going to be how Susan got her groove back. I don't know, but I know that my husband, Eric, would say, listen, honey, you're just doing fine. (laughs) Just turn it over. So um, I I, uh, think that when it says things like this in the big book, about the fellowship, I can, uh, it says, yes, there, this is on page 152. Yes, there is a substitute and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. And uh, in the 12 and 12, it says, about AA's 12 steps, these little studies of AA's 12 steps now come to a close. We have been considering so many problems that it may appear that AA consists mainly of racking dilemmas and troubleshooting. To a certain extent, that's true. We've been talking about problems because we are problem people. We have found a way up and out and who wish to share our knowledge of that way with all who can use it. For it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with him who presides over us all. Understanding is the key to right principles. And right action is the key to good living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12 steps. You know, everyone, I would not change one day in my sober life. It has been mountaintop experiences. I have never been so privileged as to love and be loved unconditionally. I can't help but express to you that we are all getting ready for more and more mountaintop experiences. We need you. Share your experience with others. Be kind and courteous to all. How much I love you. Thank you for my sobriety. <laughs>